everybody, and a big welcome to all of you Big Ten fans out there. Today is April 15th, 2021, and this is the first episode of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashinsky, and I'm joined by, and will always be joined by, two of my best friends, co-host Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. I want to say hello to the boys real quick. We'll introduce ourselves a little bit, and we're going to go in alphabetical order here to keep the peace. Casey, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Doing great, man. Really excited to be kicking off the show with two of my good buddies. Get my second COVID vaccine tomorrow. Excited about that. Got the GMAC championship Saturday at noon against Tiffin. Two 4-0 teams looking to claim the most prestigious conference championship in Division Two. So excited. Good to hear, Hayden. Let's go over to you real quick. How are you doing tonight, man? Wally, that was fucking amazing. It brought a tear to my eye. I, I, I know everybody can't see me, but you two can see me. I got a tear in my fucking eye from that. Yeah, no, just excited. Just like Casey, excited to get this on the ball rolling, baby. Let's go. Yeah, we've been working on this really hard for weeks, preparing, expecting a lot of fun from this group here. We're do real quick, before we tell you a little bit of what we're going to do with this show, we're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves, just so that you can be a little bit more familiar with us. We're always willing to interact. We want that interaction. Anything you have for us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you can find us there. Again, Casey Mock, Hayden Ramsey, Wally Lukashinsky. Wish I could say my own name right. We'd be in business. But first, Casey, we want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us why we need to be listening to you, especially when it comes to Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball. I'll let you just take it away from here, man. All right. Well, a little bit about myself. I'm about to graduate from the Ohio State University Masters in Sport Coaching Program here in a couple weeks. Pretty jacked about that. I completed my undergrad at BGSU Sport Management. I coached football at two different high schools for four years. I'm the OC for two and a half of those years. And currently, I'm getting my feet wet in college. Division two interning at Ohio Dominican for their spring season. I have a beautiful girlfriend who is a podcast spying of five plus years. We just bought a house together, getting the keys May 1st. So we're really excited about that. And uh, other than that, man, I'm just chilling right now, looking for coaching opportunities, preferably at the college level, but throwing my hat in there um, at a couple high school schools around Columbus, too. And why you should listen to me. Wow. A former former big-time Michigan fan turned to a uh, more neutral Big Ten fan after the Wisconsin game in 2019. Packed all my shit up and haven't gotten it out since. So, yeah, that's why you should listen to me. I, I listen to us. I have interest in Michigan football still. So, yeah, I'd like to keep track around of the whole Big Ten, really. See, and don't let him fool you. He secretly still has that Michigan maize and blue running through his veins. He can say whatever he wants. You'll get to hear it in his takes. But don't don't worry first. He's not the only football coach we have here on this podcast. I'm going to throw it to the other one we have up here in Northwest Ohio right now. Hayden, tell us a little bit about yourself. And we want to hear the same thing from you. Why we need to be listening to you when it comes to Big Ten football and Big Ten hoops. Let me just say something really quick, okay? Casey, God, I love him. He's a BSer, man. Don't say it, bro. Don't say it. <laughs> he, 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 he says he's not a Michigan fan. Looks like what I said. You'll hear it. He is. Hey, um, at least admit I've taken a step back. 
Bane okay. steps back. Okay, I can give you that. I can give you yes, he has taken a step back, but it's it's like that that first love of your life. That there's always that little that little flame there. Okay, it's still there. It, it's not as it's not you know burning as bright, but it's it's still there. And God, if, if they can if they can, I don't want to say turn it around, but if they can turn it around. That flame is gonna be it's gonna be glowing. Anyway, enough of that. Introduce myself. First of all, I hate I hate doing this. I hate introducing I hate talking about myself in general, but this this feels like first day of high school English class, introduce yourself, make a poster about yourself, all this shit. Well, I don't know. I, I think our listeners will get to know us pretty well here. And most important thing about me in general and about this podcast, if you are a Buckeye homer, I, this is your play. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. I will pump it up. We're winning the title every year. That's what it is. Personally, like Wally said, I coach currently in baseball, which is a fucking nightmare. Also, football. This season coming up, defensive coordinator, first year. It'll be interesting. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, busy sports 24-7. I think I'm going to kick it back over to Wally here. Okay, well, a couple things here. First of all, Hayden didn't do himself any favors there with the whole selling himself short. He's going to be a great defensive coordinator up there in Arcadia, up there in Northwest Ohio. We have two very good future coaches here, already current coaches with Casey and Hayden. They just don't like to pump their own tires, so I'll pump their tires for them a little bit. But what Hayden said real quick, Casey definitely, whatever he wants to tell you, he gets a little perked up. He's got that little juice in his stomach still. Whenever Ohio State starts struggling, he gets real happy. All of a sudden, techs start coming in. Buckeyes start doing well. Techs, they start losing a little bit of their flavor. That's all I'm going to say. He's a Michigan fan. But I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about myself real quick before we get going into to what you guys are actually here for, Big Ten football, Big Ten hoops. I am an Ohio State graduate myself from the sports industry major. I'm not as much like Hayden where I try my best because I am trying to get into the sports media field. I want to be a sports talk radio personality at some point. I have to try to remove my bias as much as I can. And I'd like to think I do a pretty good job at it. Hayden's a little bit more of the hardcore homer. I'll let Casey tell you whether or not that's true later on when we get back to him. But yeah, for the most part, I try my best to to give everybody a fair shake. I'm going to talk about you guys all as unbiased as I physically can. It's hard sometimes when, you you know, you are a Buckeye. There are 13 teams in your conference you like to beat, you like to see lose. So I won't lie to you. I'm not going to sit there and tell you I'm rooting for your team each week because that's just not the truth. So I want to explain a little bit about what this show is going to look like, what we're going to try to do here, a little bit about basically the goals of the show. This is a show that's going to focus primarily on Big Ten football and Big Ten men's basketball. That doesn't mean those are the only two things we'll talk about. But what it means is that if you're expecting to come in here and hear about the Minnesota lacrosse team or the Rutgers soccer team, you're probably not going to be very interested very long. This is going to primarily focus, like I said. God, hope not. Hope not is right. You have to hope not for those. Sorry to all those Rutgers soccer and Minnesota lacrosse fans out there. But you know what we're here for. It's going to be very evident from the first thing on. 
But we're going to tell you here first a little bit about our expected schedule. Here in football season coming up, we will be recording twice a week with the expected podcast releases to be Friday morning where it's going to be a little bit of a football preview show. And Monday mornings, it's going to be a weekend recap. We're going to tell you what you missed. We're going to tell you about what we think, the takeaways from the big games of the week before. Now, in non-football season, which we're obviously in right now, we will only be recording one time a week, and that will be released on Friday or Saturday morning, depending on the week, depending on how busy we are. All three of us have busy schedules. We're all trying to progress our career, so be with us on that. We'll be informing you on when releases are coming on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. But let's just jump right into this. I think you guys are ready to go. You guys good to go? Just jumping into topics real quick? You got anything else you want to add here real quick? Nah, man, I'm good. I think you you got it all. I'm sure you guys can already tell I'm a high-strung person, and energy's always at a 10. So I'm going to try sometimes to bring it down to an 8 so you guys don't get yourself driven crazy by me. We're going to just jump right into topics. Before we have the segments come out, as this show starts evolving over the next few weeks and months. But first, big news coming out of last week. Barry Alvarez is retiring as the Wisconsin Athletic Director. The big question I think a lot of us out there are talking about is what his overall legacy is, whether that is him as a football coach, Barry Alvarez as the Athletic Director, how those things are separate, how those things are similar. So first, I'm going to toss it over Hayden now because I've been Throwing it to Casey a lot first. Hayden, I know that last week when we were prepping for this, you weren't as big of a Barry Alvarez fan as myself and possibly Casey might have been. So I want you to have the first word here. What do you think about Barry Alvarez and his legacy? Let me start by saying Barry Alvarez. I understand people in Wisconsin treat this dude like he's royalty. I get it. 119 and 74. I don't think he's anything great. Okay. And the impact of him retiring as athletic director at Wisconsin, I don't know if this is too harsh, but I don't know if it would be felt at all. I think Wisconsin's a great place to be a 9-3, and 10-2 team, and they have a great coach to do it. Now, what does that have to do with Barry Alvarez? Yeah, sure, maybe you made the hire. I think the guy, whoever whoever comes in after Barry, I think is can keep the same success rate that they have now. I don't think... I don't think that maybe this is wrong. I don't think it's too hard to win nine games at Wisconsin every year. And, yeah, obviously he's not that coach, but he, he he's a big part of that. I don't think he's anything special. Okay, I have to make a few points here, and I'm going to throw it over to Casey. I want to hear his take too. But this hasn't always been what Wisconsin was. He brought them to that point where the nine, ten win years were the expectation and what's acceptable there. When he took over, that was a team that hadn't been ranked in 30-plus years. The team was 9-36 and 36 combined for the four years prior to his hiring. So he's realistically given this school an identity. I mean, he is a College Football Hall of Fame inductee back in 2010, coach of the year in 1993. A lot of people remember those Ron Dane years, those very fun, old-school-style teams back in the late 90s, early 2000s. But Casey, I, I'm going to throw it to you real quick. Your main takeaway, hearing that he was stepping down, what do you think his legacy is going to be? And I guess are you a little less harsh on the potential transition here that Hayden is? 
Yeah, I think I tend to lean more toward uh, your way of thinking here, Wally. I think his impact on Wisconsin football has been huge. Like you mentioned, you know, they weren't really anything before he got there, and he led them, you know, consistent eight, nine to eventually 10 wins in a, in a year. And he left it in a pretty good place. You know, Bielema leaving. I mean, Bielema had success there. I, don't, I still don't know why the hell he ended up leaving, but now. Uh, with with Chris and then that Anderson guy, and he bolted for Oregon State. I don't know why he did that, but anyway, yeah, you know, I think he gave Wisconsin an identity. You know, he gave him the old school football, run the ball, you know, forty five times on your throat identity, and I think Wisconsin is in a in a better place, obviously, than before he got there. But as far as his impact on athletics as a whole, I'm not really sure how that will be felt at Wisconsin, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I'm kind of, obviously, as you've kind of heard, we've been talking about it, I am very much a Barry Alvarez fan and a supporter. I just, I guess personally, when you have a team, a lot of people forget those early 90s Wisconsin teams, even the 80s, Wisconsin had completely lost interest in their college football program. They were looking at just over 54, what, I think it was 54% of attendance average per home games, and now Camp Randall We'll be hinting at this a little later on. It's one of the most electric atmospheres in college football, let alone the Big Ten now. It's completely changed because of Barry Alvarez's contributions in that early 90s in his hiring period. I mean, yeah, he came in. And again, this is a team that they were kind of where Illinois football is now. And imagine what Illinois would be if they were a 9 or a 10 win team each year, how high Champagne would be on that head coach, how high they would be on that overall program in its own right. I mean, with him, they went to, what, three Rose Bowls? He won all three when he coached the full year. He came back. I'm sure you guys remember when Bielema left, like Casey was alluding to earlier, which, by the way, still mind boggles me, that it was a lateral move at best to go down there. And I just don't understand. It's Arkansas. I get it. It's the SEC. We're not SEC fans, as you're going to know very quickly in here. It just doesn't, it never made sense. I kind of hated it, but you know, that's fine. He's back in the Big Ten now. We'll be getting actually into that here in a second. We're going to go over to Illinois. But last thing I'll say for Barry is that even as an athletic director, because of what he did as a football coach, the actual overall athletic department has been making leaps and bounds. They're out of debt. When he was a head coach, they were in debt. They were a athletic department that looked doomed. They just felt depressed. There was nothing to get excited about. And now all of a sudden, Wisconsin is a team that not only on the football field, this is a team that's in the final four feels like every few years now. I know a lot of that's more on Bo Ryan. I'm not going to give him the credit there. Hayden, I saw your hand up. I'm going to let you jump back in here. I just have just three things to finish this little segment here. First of all, that's a downgrade. Going to Oregon State, that's a joke. I mean, what are you doing? Second thing, there, here's two stats, okay? In his, what, 15 years at Wisconsin, he was 65 and 60 in league play. To me, that's not that's not anything great. I mean, five games over 500, fucking whoop-de-doo. A third thing is in his 15, I'm not counting the two interim jobs that he did, you know, the one game. From 90 to 2005, he won 10 games only four times. 
So 11 out of those 15 seasons, he won nine games or less, including, and I, and I you know, I kind of give him a break here. 1990, his first year, they were one in 10. Okay, yeah, that's pretty bad. 91 and 92, they were both five and six. So, you know, year five in the program, he's four and five. To me, it just, it just screams average to me. 65 and 60 in the league play. It's all about building a program, man. Yeah, they started out shitty, but where Wisconsin was when he left, I just think that they were in a way better place. In 2001, they were four and five. 2003, he was seven and six. How did he finish? How did he finish? He finished nine and three and ten and three. Yeah, there you go. Better place than one and ten, right? Yeah, based on one season, but year 13, he's seven and six, four and four in conference play. I'm not acting like he's a savior. I don't, I know they weren't very good, but from not very good to average doesn't, that doesn't mean shit to me. That's coming from an Ohio State fan's perspective. If Ohio State went 15 years like that, my God, they'd go through seven, eight coaches. That I would be a pissed off motherfucker for 15 years in a row. But you have to put things in perspective. Like Wisconsin football isn't like Ohio State football. Like the expectations are just not not the same. Well, and I also want to say, yeah, they're not the same. Even the, he brought that expectation up to even the 10 win season. We're talking about this is a, a, a for a school. I almost said franchise. This is how broken our brains are, where my brain goes to franchise. But even so, this is a school that had never seen a 10-win team until he did it. He did it four times in the 15 years that he was there. This is a, a program, yeah, he had those lulls. I'm not going to sit here and make it sound like Wisconsin was this world beater, but at the same time, you're not recruiting at that same talent, the same talent pool as you're going to get in Wisconsin. Now it's the kind of cliche of you know that they're going to have five behemoths on that offensive line. You're going to have a solid running back, and they're going to be able to run the ball behind it, and they're going to be able to compete with almost any team in the country. And none of that happens without what Barry Alvarez brought to the table. At least that's the way I would personally see it. I'll let you guys have the last word here before we jump over. Do you have anything left to say? It's good to know. I will say this, that we only have to worry about 13 fan bases listening now because Hayden's going to run off all the Wisconsin ones 15 minutes into night one. (laughs) I'll just say we, we've been here. Watch out. Wisconsin has a quarterback now. So, Graham Mertz, baby. Let's go. 10 wins next year. Well, in 10 wins all of a sudden, it's not big of a, of a surprise for Wisconsin. You know who was really good at getting those 10 win teams in Wisconsin? Brett Bielma. He's back in the Big Ten now. He's over in Illinois. First time since 2011, he's back. I guess for me, it was kind of a surprise. Yeah, he was in New York. And just that dumpster fire of a franchise there with the Giants. But coming back from Arkansas, I don't know. I kind of expected him not to dip this far. Because I feel like Illinois in the state of things, yeah, the expectations aren't very high. But at the same time, like he's Lovey Smith, a very decent coach in his own right. He went there and he wasn't even able to recruit the state. What should we realistically expect from Brett Bielma going back to the Big Ten, especially back to the Big Ten West? He said earlier in the year that on a Big Ten interview that coaches evolved. He sees himself as a different coach now. He's telling everybody this isn't going to be your Wisconsin Badgers offense. And for good reason, Illinois is not going to bring in those kind of players to be able to develop an offense that we would have been used to seeing there. So I guess for 
for me. I want to hear what you guys think. A realistic expectation, yeah, year one, but even beyond year one, what should we think a Brett Bielma era in Illinois is going to look like? Is he going to be able to bring them back? Is he going to be able to bring them back into the expectations? And even if it's the freaking pinstripe bowl, should they be looking forward to that again here in 24, 36 months? Yeah, I think we have to uh, put things in perspective here again. Getting Illinois back is like six, seven wins a year. But I'm not really sure what to think of Illinois this coming year. I thought they were even better than their six and seven record from 2019. A really good win against Wisconsin, almost beat Michigan. I thought that they were taking a big step forward, but then last year was just bad, like a lot of teams in the Big Ten. But I mean, I think time will tell. I don't expect them to get back to like the Rashard, Rashard Mendenhall, Juice Williams days. But, you know, I'll toss it over to Aiden and see what he thinks. Yeah, uh, Juice Williams ain't coming back. I, I think this – actually, actually, I think this is a really good hire. I, I think it's a great hire for Illinois, actually. But for – I mean, they're pro- they'll probably be terrible next year. Right? Just my guess. I, I think going forward, you know, two years, maybe three years down the line, he get a couple recruiting classes under his belt. I think there's a chance that he could get them – Kind of around where cases six and six, maybe a seven five, maybe you know if if they give him this long, maybe five years down the line he can get an eight and four year, you know something like that. <sighs> Illinois is a tough place to win. I don't know what else to say about that. If he can get them bowl eligible and back to back in multiple years, I I think that would be a, a success. I, I don't have much confidence and being able to recruit to Illinois or really anything to be, you know, the 2006 Illini squad. I don't think that's going to happen. Ron Zwick is not walking through that door. Neither is Juice Williams, none of these guys. But I will say this. We had kind of similar sayings and like the way, I guess, expectations for Indiana even five, ten years ago. And if you have the right hire and the right situation in the Big Ten, you can make yourself relevant. And Brett Bielema has said they are going to recruit the state of Illinois like no other. End quote. That's his words. Easy to be said when you have the, the beast around you. You got Wisconsin right up north. You have Ohio State a couple hours east of you. You have Michigan right up in the northeast. And not to forget, even out of conference, you got Notre Dame right down the road. So this is going to be a tough place for him to recruit. What he has to work with, or at least... The benefit for him in Illinois is you are in the Big Ten West. And what we've seen in the last few years, that's nowhere near the level of play that is in the the Big Ten East. Who knows, maybe a year that they can avoid a couple of the beasts of the Big Ten East. Maybe they can rattle off a seven or an eight win year. And who knows, maybe that can set the recruiting trail a little bit. Because right now, he comes in, the class last year in 21, or this upcoming class that Lovey was primarily responsible for it came in at 70 according to 24 7 sports this 22 class very early we're talking way early it's 62nd right now he's got a lot of time to make that a little bit better hopefully he can for illinois sake i just don't know if it's actually realistic i mean lovey smith he had name recognition he had that name power and if he wasn't able to do it it makes you wonder how stale this brett bielma message is going to be if people are actually able to get fired up about it. Because I don't want a dog on a guy I've never met. 
But I just couldn't stand Brett Bielma, the person when I was living in Wisconsin. He never really came off as a a likable player's coach. If I'm a three-star that's thinking about a place to play, I don't know if I really want to be playing in front of 5,000 people in Champaign, Illinois at noon or 11 a.m. for them out there against freaking what, Rutgers? I I don't think that's very appealing to many people. Two things to tag along with that. One thing I think that we might be, and I don't think you said it, a benefit of recruiting in the Big Ten West is we didn't talk about Chicago. If they can pull some guys out of Chicago, obviously that would really help them recruiting wise. But, you know, you pull a couple guys out of there, maybe you make some connections at a school there. All of a sudden you got a, you got a little bit of a pipeline. And I'm not, I know, you know, that's way we're talking Illinois football here. We're not talking, you know, Ohio state going into Cleveland and we're talking Illinois going into Chicago. It's a little different. So Chicago, I think, could be a benefit if they can somehow build some relationships in there and get some guys out of there. The next thing, you talked about Memorial Stadium and playing at 11 o'clock. This is a teaser for our next episode. What a dog shit place to play at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Can you – the winds winds blowing 35 miles an hour in your face. Could you imagine doing – I'm not giving away my list for next next week, but (laughs) – they're going to be pretty high on it. Let me just tell you. I agree with you there, man. I think we're going to have Illinois sitting at probably the same spot next week. But I just wanted to touch on the recruiting a little bit. And so Illinois hasn't finished in the top 10 of the Big Ten since 2017 recruiting. Like that, I mean, you can't compete. That's brutal. Not, yeah. not in, in the Big Ten West, too, where, you know, typically it's pretty wide open outside of maybe a Wisconsin or Western, but man, not even to crack the top 10 is, that's pretty bad. Well, you brought up, first of all, Hayden, you brought up Chicago. What I think a lot of people forget about it, where is freaking Northwestern? It's like 15 minutes down the road from Chicago. It's a lot harder. I mean, Illinois is a good academic school, but it's, if I'm going to have to choose who I'm playing for, not only do you have the benefits of a better academic program in Northwestern, because this isn't Ohio State. This isn't the the Bamas. This is a place where you are going to get a degree. You were probably not leaving school early if you were going to play for Illinois or Northwestern. I'm going to stay home in Northwestern, play for Pat Fitzgerald, who is a far more likable coach, at least from the outside looking in. My fucking guy. My guy is right. He's awesome. Everyone loves Pat. There's not too many people in the Big Ten that can find a bad thing to say about him especially since that's in home school from when he played. That's so cool. I mean, it's just, we'll see how they do. Right now, both of the recruits for this 22 class for Illinois are from out of state. So that's a that's nice, at least, that they're able to get a couple three stars from around the area. One's up in Wisconsin, my former high school. It's not a big deal. It's no big deal or anything, Heartland, Wisconsin. But that's cool. Good for them that they're able to, at least early on, Make a little bit of moves, make a little bit of noise, but realistically, it's like you said, it's hard to to, to really recruit kids and say, yeah, you know what, the 5,000 people here at Memorial Stadium in the morning, you're going to get on Big Ten Network for the 44 people that choose to watch that Illinois versus Western Kentucky game in August. Like That's just not something that kids want to see. It's not something that kids want to be a part of. So I think it's going to be really tough for him. We'll see if he's able to turn it around, but I mean, he's got a challenge ahead of him. That's all you can really say. But speaking of challenges ahead of people, Michael Penix Jr., he's on track now 
to recover, at least in his words, to be ready for game day come August for the opener. His exact quote, I know for sure I'll be ready come game day. Hayden, I saw your hand up. I want to go back to you here. No, I'm I'm all ready to tackle my Michael Penix Jr. I'm ready. I'm all in on this topic. Are you ready for this? I watched. Now, okay. First, let me say. Ohio State secondary was garbage. They were garbage. Flat out garbage. But I watched Michael Penix tear Ohio State up last year through the air. I, I wish I would have his stats right on hand. But. I think that dude, and no, I'm not saying he's an NFL quarterback because I don't think he is, but I, that dude is a legit college quarterback that I think can be very effective, especially if the Big Ten is down again like it kind of was last year. I think he can make Indiana, you know, maybe not the primary competitor to Ohio State in the East, but maybe Penn State, maybe, I, I don't know what Michigan's going to look like, but I, I think they could be right in that 2-3 mix kind of right behind Ohio State. I'm assuming they're losing a lot from last year. I'm not totally familiar with their roster. But I also watched their backup, Jack Tuttle, come in last year. I watched him in that that brutal game. That Wisconsin game last year was miserable to watch. And then I watched him in the bowl game against Ole Miss, and it's not like Ole Miss defense was anything. They weren't good. Only scored 20 points. So behind him, I I think Indiana could be in some trouble. But if he's back and he is able to recover from, you know, surgery and the ACL and the knee, I'm not saying Indiana's going to be great, but I think that they could be similar to what they were last year. I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. I don't think – I mean, I don't – and again, I don't know what Penn State's going to look like next year either. But I, I think they could he, – he could make them a competitor in the East. Well, uh, Hayden, I looked up those stats real quick there for you, and I, I got Michael Penix's uh, stats against Ohio State. 491 yards, five touchdowns, no big deal. But, no, man, I hope he comes back and is healthy to play at the beginning of the season. That Indiana team, you know, even though they beat some teams that I wouldn't like them to beat, they, they were fun to watch. And they have a couple tough – Test at the beginning of their schedule. They got at Iowa and Cincinnati's no slouch. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of rush him back a little bit or if they take it easy in the fall. Um, but Hayden, I also think you're kind of missing uh, a key part here. I think Kate Wormack leaving Indiana is a big hit to the program. I think the defenses that he was throwing out there were legit and really good. I think that'll be a big hit for him. And also, you know, losing my cart isn't good for your program either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you brought up Kane Womack. Look what's going on right now. If you turn on ESPN or NFL Network, what's the big knock on Justin Fields? Everyone wants to go to that Indiana and Northwestern game. And a lot of that was from those schemes that he was being able to draw up for him. There were a lot of those creative blitz packages, a lot of stunts from that defensive line. It gave Justin Fields and that Ohio State offensive line in general a lot of fits in that game. You wouldn't really know it if you looked at just the box score because Ohio State still was able to move the ball. But what they did is that you have to realize Ohio State's going to move the ball on you. You have to create turnovers. You're going to have to create stops. You do that by creating those sacks, by creating those turnovers. And they were able to do that in that game. And you got to hand it to them. It was 35 to 10 in that game. And Indiana fought all the way back where there was a moment that Hayden and I were freaking texting each other nonstop in these games, all of a sudden the line went quiet for both of us. 
we had to get a little quiet. And if they were talking, there wasn't much good to be said. Indiana was a legit team last year. They were no slouch. When Jack Cuddle does come in, yeah, you had that brutal game at Camp Randall. They only won 14 to 6 there. And then they lose a bowl game against Ole Miss, 26 to 20. Penix Jr.'s in there. They win that game. They would have been the better team. They were realistically the better team even in that game. They just didn't have the quarterback play. I want to say Tuttle threw almost 50 passes and only had like 200 yards. The, the entire identity of that team changed the moment he went down. And it's a shame because they had something really brewing there. And who knows what would have happened, what bowl they could have potentially been in because you know how they can say whatever they want, how they weren't going to let that influence their bowl selection. Penix Jr.'s there. There's a chance that you get a better bowl calling. That's just a simple fact. Indiana not getting a New Year's Six Bowl game last year was robbery. That was That's pathetic. I completely agree. Simply because of that injury. And it's a shame that they kind of devalued what everything else that team was able to accomplish. But let's look ahead for the schedule for the upcoming year for the Hoosiers. They start the year at Iowa on September 4th. That's going to be a really tough game if Penix Jr. is there or not. If he is not able to get back right away, two of their first three games are tricky. You have Iowa. You assume they'll beat Idaho at home regardless of who is under center. But then you have you bring in the Cincinnati Bearcats. And Luke Fickle has something brewing down there too. We will, Obviously, I know it's Big Ten country, even though it's not Big Ten. Everyone... Ohio State related, they still love Luke Farrell, or Luke Farrell, Luke Fickle, Jesus. But yeah, more or less, this was a it's a it's a start of the year that's going to be challenging one way or another. You have to hope for the Hoosiers' sake. Penix Jr. is available because if you start that season one and two before Big Ten play, all of a sudden it might even be hard for this team to get bowl eligible because of how difficult the Big Ten East is. Uh, I, I want to hear anything else you guys want to say before we change up one more time here but Indiana going into next year Michael Penix Jr. anything you got for me no I just wanted to mention that you know you're probably right Ohio State fans do still love Luke Farrell too yeah well Luke Farrell's a great guy Luke Fickle's a great dude too but Luke Farrell great guy we were talking about earlier Illinois struggles to have people watching games you're gonna have just about as many people out there watching a fall Saturday afternoon game Illinois playing at home as Michigan had watching their spring game this last week. Closed doors to fans, closed door to the media. If you basically blinked, you missed this game. Casey's not a Michigan fan, but we're going to go to him because I don't care what he says. He's got an affinity. He loves his team. I want to hear what you, I guess, what purpose does the secrecy serve? Because from the outside looking in, it can be a little bit of a head scratcher. Man, I I have no idea. I I don't think it's a big deal, but I have no idea why they did it. I just have to assume that they didn't want to televise how shitty they looked, how probably unorganized it was. I've been to a couple spring games and it just looked like shit. But um, yeah, that's I don't have anything else to say. But I don't know why it's that big of a deal. You can kind of feel that candle burning a little. You, you can just feel it in the voice. You can just tell. Oh, man, even tone. Even tone. Honestly, I I don't understand that. I don't understand it at all. Usually, and I know right now is not a normal time. Usually spring game, you can have recruits there. Not with COVID this year, obviously. But you also, by having it on television, you get more exposure. Honestly, I'm at a loss for words. The only thing that I can think of, and maybe this is me being the Buckeye I am, 
are they that bad? Like, I don't, I honestly, I don't know. Are, do they not want people to see it because they don't want people to see the product that they're going to put out on the field this fall? Nah, man, that, <laughs> that's exactly what I think too. I think they're, they've got so many holes to fill that I, I it wouldn't surprise me if their real reason was because they didn't want other people to see how shitty they were. That would not surprise me. Or they're hiding JJ McCarthy just been balling out, which is not what I've been hearing. I've heard that there is absolutely no separation between the two quarterbacks. Well, actually, I heard that McNamara is ahead and McCarthy hasn't been produced in the way everyone thought. But we'll uh, we'll dive into the bigger issues of Michigan football here in just a little bit, I guess. It's on the rundown, right? Yep, got to deal with that one. Uh, we could, are, are we going to jump into the positive note coming this week, though, of Michigan? I'm going to go ahead and do that with uh, Mac Dudek leaving for Mississippi State. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd like, like to hear Wally's thoughts first on Michigan not televising this spring game. Well, yeah, well, a couple things. I'm glad you brought up Dudek because we will get to him in a second because I think a lot of people from the outside, when you lose someone, it's the oh, God, this is a, a little bit of a blow, but I don't think there's too many Michigan fans up there that are too bummed out about this departure. But we'll, like you said, we'll dive in in a second. But my only thoughts, if he goes out, and when I was hearing the news, I had a similar thought to you, Casey, with the, is this a McCarthy like hiding him thing? Is this a, you want to avoid the potential quarterback controversy? Because you know what's going to happen. And it's not just Michigan fans. It's any fan of any sport where, a team that was once elite that hasn't really been that recently, you want to believe that that's still right around the corner. When you have a guy coming in with the expectations he has, if he goes out in spring game and he has 10 of 11 for 150 yards and two touchdowns, what's everybody going to do? This guy has to start day one. If he's not ready to start day one, you don't want to ruin the kid either. So I think there's a, a possibility this was a little bit of a preemptive Let's kind of just keep expectations low. Let's go into the the rest of spring. Let's go into summer. Let's figure out who realistically is our starting quarterback before you have the media, before you have the, the Michigan fans immediately say, dude, this is our guy. We have to play this kid, right? So I, I understand from that perspective. But of course, even if it is marginally, it's good to have your games on television, especially this time of year where realistically, if you're watching football, you're watching like Jackson State. You're watching uh, Ferris State. You're watching all these FCS schools. So to have a Michigan on a Saturday, I think a lot of people would tuned in. So that part, you have both sides of it. There's drawbacks. And if, talking about recruiting, though, we were talking about Dudek. He's out. People from the outside, we don't really know right now. Is this a true resignation? Or is this Harbaugh saying, hey, man, we're kind of not start from scratch, so to speak. But we're going to retool the coaching staff. We're going to retool the program all together. And we need you to basically politely, we'll see you later. He's all hailed state now. But realistically, he'd still be saying go blue if it was up to him. So I, I will, again, you're the Michigan fan, the quote unquote not Michigan fan. I want to hear, you guys had to have been high-fiving around. Because I know that was a big blow for Buckeye fans. It was a sad day when Dudek left. It felt like... Michigan finally got one over on the Buckeye fans. Coming from not a Michigan fan's perspective, Matt Dudek being out of Michigan will positively impact the program. What I've heard, he just was lazy as hell. Once he got the job, he thought he made it. 
didn't work very hard. Apparently, the scheduled recruiting visits that he put together were just shit. And I mean, it just it just shows, you know, Ohio State's the gap between Ohio State and Michigan in recruiting has just grown immensely since he's taken over. So I think to your point, yeah, I think Harbaugh and him probably were already kind of parting ways and he just found this job. I mean, going to Mississippi State is a very lateral move at best. Good for the guy. I'm glad he's gone for Michigan's sake and for the Big Ten's sake because I think it's better when Michigan is good. But I'll leave it at that. <laughs> we were going to talk about this later, but I think this fits pretty good. We're talking about Michigan and recruiting and the recruiting coordinator and whatnot. Xavier Worthy update. Let's get it. He was in the 2021 class. Okay, for people who don't know, Xavier Worthy, the number 61 overall player in the class of 2021. That's a great recruit. Posted on Twitter that he is trying to get a transfer, ask for a release um, to go somewhere else. I think just in terms of the 2021 class, he was their third best recruit in that class behind J.J. McCarthy. And Donovan Edwards. But that's a pretty big piece to lose, I think. And I know he plays receiver, but I, I still think that's a big... You get a guy... you Any guy in the top 100, on average, is going to pan out more than not. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's a actually a pretty big loss. And what's weird is he is from California, but... Apparently, he's been looking to transfer or opt out or whatever he's doing to go somewhere down south like Texas or something like that, which I find kind of weird. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to opt out of your thing, I figured it would be to go back home and play somewhere in California. Kind of interested by that. Well, I'm happy that you did say that because Steve Sarkeesian had offered him at Alabama. And it sounds like because of the the move to Texas, that could potentially be what he's looking at, the selling point clear, clearly being that he's six foot one, a buck sixty. He's small. He's undersized. What did Steve Sarkeesian just see at Alabama? And what did he just turn into literal liquid gold? Devontae. Devontae. That is the pitch. You are the next one. And that's a great pitch for anybody. If you can tell a prospect, hey man, we're going to not only be Texas's back. But you're going to be the reason Texas is back. You are going to be our Devontae in this system. I think that's a pretty compelling sales pitch for a kid. What is tough, though, is that Michigan, I mean, it still is a name brand. Whether or not they've been struggling the last few years, they have these top 10 recruiting classes year in and year out. Now, they should be better. We were talking about Dudek earlier. It sounds like, and I don't want to be 100% definitive, but from the sounds of it, and not in Casey also just said it, so I feel a little bit better about it. It sounds like once they have recruits and the practices start picking up, the expectations and responsibilities of a head coach like Harbaugh, they pick up. You don't have as much time to reach out and talk to recruits. That's when you have these recruiting coordinators step in and they have to do their due diligence and call these guys and make sure things are staying on track to make sure that they realize they're still wanted. They're still going to be a crucial part of the program. And it sounds like he kind of got a little lazy, as you said, Casey, and wasn't, I guess, as hungry as he should have been. And when you're a school like Michigan, 
you're recruiting against the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Texases, and you can't get relaxed. You can't get lazy, even for a, a period of a few days, because guess what's going to happen? You're going to have the guys like Sarkeesian calling up and say, hey, man, they don't sound like they want you that bad, because down here, you're going to be it. You're going to be our guy. And that's a huge selling point. And I think Michigan's better off. And as much as we don't like Michigan, Hayden, you and I, it is better for not only the Big Ten, but for college football as a whole when Michigan is better. When the name brands are better, college football is healthy. If Michigan can at some point start taking these recruiting classes and start, we see that manifestation on the field of what the thought could be. Michigan could realistically turn themselves into at least a contender in the Big Ten East and the Big Ten again. And then once you do that, everything snowballs. That's how it happens. If Michigan starts winning, up, maybe go to a Rose Bowl, maybe win a Rose Bowl. Maybe you can start getting that Jim Harbaugh shine about him again. Start telling people, we are Michigan. We can play for national champions. Hasn't looked like it's been the case since Lloyd Carr, but that's not something that's out of the realm of possibility if things start panning out with these newer recruits, I guess, not being squandered in the program like they have been in the last 10, 15 years. No, thank you. No, I think it'd be great to see. But uh, going back to your point, Hayden, I think, say that. Yeah, I think the Xavier Worthy loss is going to be a big loss for Michigan. You know, with McCarthy, Edwards, and Worthy, you thought you had a pretty sweet three-headed monster there. But losing him is a big deal because they were comparing him to Deshaun Jackson. And when your offensive coordinator claims that, you know, you're running speed in space, you kind of need a fast guy. So nice to have. So yeah, it's a big loss for Michigan in terms of, you know, the three headed monster that I thought that they would have. I'm not mad about it. One more thing to touch on with Dudek. Uh, You know, the thing that frustrated me the most, not me, uh, Michigan fans, the most with uh, Dudek is how many really good prospects they missed out of the state of Michigan. Way too many. When, you know, when you have, let's see here, what do we got? When you have five guys in the top 100 of the 247 recruiting rankings, you expect Michigan to get four, right? At least four. You might lose a guy. But it's not only the guys that Michigan's missing out on, it's that they're in positions of need. You see, they lost, uh, you know, Damon Payne to Alabama. He's at defensive tackle, Garrett Dillinger at offensive tackle and then Rocco Spindler at offensive guard. Those are all three positions that Michigan really struggles at. Michigan's biggest difference between Ohio State is the offensive and defensive line. And you missed out on a five-star defensive tackle. Hayden, I know you and I don't think David Payne's going to be shit in the league or in, in college or in the league. Um, but Rocco Spindler and then Garrett Dellinger, I mean, those, those are two massive losses that I don't think Michigan fans could get over. And I feel like a guy, you mentioned Damon Payne, if he's good enough for Alabama and he's in my backyard, I am doing my damnedest to try and keep him home. You know what I mean? And I know maybe he wasn't that high on Michigan's radar, which he might not have been. I've heard that from, or I've read that about a couple teams thinking that he was, you know, his ranking was way uh, over what they thought he was, but if Alabama wants him, I also want him. Well, and what do schools like Ohio State and Alabama, these national teams do? They lock down the border. You're not coming into that state and you're not taking the best players. 
That's something Michigan was very good at for a long time. It's something that Ohio State fans were frustrated with because not only did they keep their guys home, they would walk into Ohio and they would be able to get plenty of good recruits there as well. That's something that they haven't even seen as much of, at least of the top-end talent in Ohio. And I think that they're going to, at least with this new regime, excluding Harbaugh, of course, he's still there, I think they're going to put more of an emphasis on keeping the borders closed. Make it so it's only you and little brother, East Lansing, Michigan State, dealing with players in state. Because Michigan, it is still a name brand. Whether or not their success has fallen off realistically a cliff for their standards in the last 15 years or not, they should still be able to recruit their home state, not let people like Nick Saban walk in and take guys like that. So I, I think that we'll see at least more of an emphasis whether or not they're able to follow through. We'll see. But I think there will be a definitive push to be able to keep these guys in state going forward. Yeah, I'm just looking back at all the misses in the state of Michigan. And I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was this bad. In 2019, all right, Michigan had, the state of Michigan had 23 guys ranked in the top 1,000, which is, I mean, going all the way to number 1,000 or even less is not out of Michigan's norm. They had 23 guys ranked in the top 1,000 in the state of Michigan. I want you guys to guess, 2019, how many of those recruits went to Michigan? Um, I'm going to go with four. See, I would say five, but I'm almost worried that we're going to lowball you and make take a little bit of the steam out of your question here. No, uh, it was two. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, not only that, they're missing out on guys – a five-star t- offensive tackle because of Wisconsin. The next two are highly rec- highly ranked cornerbacks, right? And what did we see Michigan last year get torched the defensive backs? Highly recruited four-star cornerback goes to Michigan State. A highly recruited offensive guard, another position that Michigan needs, went to Michigan State. I mean, you just start going through them. West Bloomfield, how do we lose a guy? How do they lose a guy? From West Bloomfield. Ah, he just told on himself. He just told on himself. He said, how do we? How do we? Yeah, he I is. Myself. But then he, then you just keep going through the list. And it's just unreal. The teams that came in and, and got quality guys. You know, Marvin Grant going to Purdue. A four-star safety. What the heck? DeWan Mathis going to Georgia. We got two guys here. Went to Colorado. Like, how in the hell? Boston College, Missouri, Clemson, Iowa. It's just... The list goes on and on. Uh, 2019 really stood out to me. I mean, shit, we could probably go through seven recruiting cycles and see the same thing, but I'm over it. Let's get a move on. Yes, let's move on down south to their most hated rival, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I guess technically... Actually, quick, quick note there. Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Laurinaitis said that he was talking to Jake Long. They were teammates in St. Louis. And Jake Long said that Michigan... Uh, takes the Michigan State rivalry more serious because of the in-state stuff. So well, that's the that problem. No, that's been the problem for a long-ass time now, but um, I found that interesting. Oh, go ahead, Wally. No, no, yeah, that is definitely a problem when you are supposedly trying to compete with teams to potentially win a national championship. You have to go through Columbus. You have to go through Ohio State to do that. You have to put that same level of emphasis that Ohio State's putting on the rivalry even though it hasn't been the rivalry we have 
and our parents have grown up on in the last 10 years. But, but we'll, we'll save that discussion for another day. Ohio State, their spring game is this upcoming Saturday. A spring game you'll actually be able to see. Well, I want to hear from you guys. Before this game goes in, what is the thing you're going to be watching for? Because there are a lot of things here, realistically, that Ohio State that you don't typically have discussions about where the running back committee, Master Teague, he's kind of the incumbent at this point. Is he going to retain? Are you going to talk about any separation at the quarterback position? Do they look as thin at linebacker as we're expecting? I guess from you guys, is there one thing over another that you will be sitting down on Saturday really focused in on? I I guess, Hayden, I'll go to you first this time because Buckeyes, got to have you. Buckeye Homer, let's hear from you what you have. I guess worried, excited, what do you got for us? Okay, the biggest thing, and I think most people would say this, and it's the most obvious because you you need this to win. The biggest thing I think is the quarterback situation. And I don't know if we'll be able to tell if there's any separation. I mean, it's a, it's a spring game. It's a glorified practice. I think it will be fun to be able to see, you know, obviously who's on the two teams that are playing. It was it Scarlet and Gray. So Scarlet versus Gray. Who's the quarterback of Scarlet? Who's the quarterback? Who's the quarterback of Gray? It'll be. I think that'll kind of give us your one and two. My prediction for that. I think. I think your one is going to be C.J. Stroud. Your two is going to be Jack Miller. Just because I think Kyle McCord as a freshman, you know, just doesn't have the his his feet aren't wet enough. You know what I mean. The second thing, and the thing that worries me the most, is the secondary. Look at this team last year. First of all, Seven Banks has been is has been out this spring. He's he's not really hurt, but he's not a hundred percent. He's kind of banged up, I guess it would be. Uh, Cam Brown, I don't think he's going to be ready to go quite yet from his Achilles. And those are your two starting corners. So I guess you could look at it on either side. Me as a homer, I'm saying, ooh, let me look at the young guys. Let me see how the young guys look against these great receivers that Ohio State has. But also at the same time, we need those guys back if this team can go places that all of us want them to go. I don't I don't think spring games really tell you that much. I think it'll be fun to watch. It'll give us some things to talk about. But at the end of the day, nothing, nothing. I don't think we're going to get any huge picture about it. I think the quarterback battle is going to go until the fall. I think week one we'll have Master T get running back. Linebackers here, I have my my name, my breakout defensive player. You ready for this, Casey? Yes, sir. My, my breakout defensive player is Craig Young. I think he is going to play significant minutes this year. And from everything that you read about practice, this dude is a freak. He's big. He can run. He's he right now. He's switching. He kind of plays out, you know, outside linebacker a little bit. He's kind of playing safety. They think he's going to play that little hybrid role. Maybe I, I think he can play big minutes this year, and I I really think he's my breakout player. Yeah, he's a name that I've heard a lot um, listening to the radio stations down here. Someone that, quite frankly, I wasn't really, I, I didn't really know who he was. But, yeah, he's definitely a name that I've been hearing. I've been hearing that the quarterback battle has been split right now. I I heard that Miller and Stroud were getting about 90% of the total reps. And McCord had about the rest of the 10%. You guys chime in if you've heard something different. But in terms of guys, uh, guys or units that I'm looking forward to, 
Saturday. Travion Henderson is somebody that I'm really excited to see. Uh, I've been hearing that he's been balling this spring, and he's going to get a. I, I would assume he's going to get a lot of reps on Saturday because that that boy hasn't played ball, and he didn't have a twenty. Yeah, because yeah, so he didn't have a twenty twenty football season, so he hasn't played in a while. I'm sure they're going to try to get his feet wet. Ohio State usually doesn't do a full contact game, right? They haven't done that in a couple of years. Just kind of no, but I I think I did read that they were considering it this year, but I I don't know if it's going to happen. But I do remember hearing it. Yes, we. I think that it'll help get a better understanding of who can play and who can't. Um, because like you addressed, that was another thing that I uh, was interested to see was the defensive backs. I mean. Coming off of one of the worst years, if not the worst year in Ohio State history, the defensive backs are are thin, and you're losing your quote unquote best player in Sean Wade. I think that that is the second most important thing to take away from the spring. But you're also in a no win situation there because if Stroud and Jack Miller ball out, then you're like excited about the quarterbacks, but then you're like, oh shit, our secondary sucks again. And then vice versa. But I'm not really too worried about Ohio State at the quarterback position, man. Brian Day's a fantastic coach. Whoever he puts back there, one is going to be the right guy. There's going to be no question in Ryan Day. And then two is going to produce. I just, I don't know. I'm a big Ryan Day believer, and I think whoever's back there is going to. I, I have an interesting question for both. Well, Casey and, and Wally. I'm not going to forget about Wally. What do you think about you know, if this quarterback battle goes until maybe the fall, is is there any possibility that, you know, you could kind of lose the locker room a little bit? You have 35% of the team thinks, you know, Jack Miller should be the starter. You got 60% of the team that thinks CJ Stroud should be the starter. You know, you pick one, then you have almost half the team kind of saying, what the hell? Which I think, you know, recent Ohio State memory, I think that kind of happened after the national title year. Yeah, Cardell won the title. I think some of the guys on the team still thought JT was was the guy at quarterback. And I just, I don't know if that's a possibility of happening again. Yeah, I think it all comes down to culture, man. You're right. I, I completely kind of ignored the fact that Ohio State did go through this with Cardell and JT. And it. I mean, they won, but if you remember, that first six, seven games that year looked like dog shit. Struggle and, um, bus. Yeah, and so I I don't see that being an issue. One, because uh, I could see how half the team would be torn then because JT took you to 12 or 11 and 1, and then Cardale took you the rest of the way. So I could kind of see how they would be more split in terms of like who deserves more. But I think the culture at Ohio State is we're here to win, and the best guy is going to play. And I don't think that guys in the locker room are going to half want Jack Miller, half want C.J. Stroud, and then split the locker room. I, I just couldn't see that at Ohio State. For me, I guess, you even going back to Cardale and JT, not only were they different kind of quarterbacks, it was an entire different scheme. Ryan Day has overhauled this offense. When Urban Meyer was doing this, this was more of a dependent you expected your or running backs, you expected your quarterbacks to run the ball 15 times, sometimes up to 25 times in a game. That's not how this team is built. First of all, I think that this quarterback controversy is going to be, I think Stroud's going to win the job, and I think it's going to be earlier than people think it is. Even if they don't announce it, you guys have been a part of football locker rooms. The listeners here have probably 
been around or at least know about it, even if it's not said, most of the time you know. Like C.J. Stroud, you all of a sudden might be getting the first team reps. Might not be the quote-unquote starter right away, but I don't think that's going to influence a locker room, so to speak. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to just take care of your own business. And this is a different world than even six, seven years ago with Ohio State quarterbacks. Whoever is the guy, you're not going to have to worry about the ball getting to that receiver. This is going to be a luxury decision, more or less, where if you have someone that can take the job from Stroud, it means that they're very, very qualified and very good to step in in day one. Because Stroud, he came in even briefly uh, last year and was able to show in, in those moments that he looked looked apart at the very least. Now, trying to backtrack a second ago, because I didn't get to tell you guys what I'm most excited for in this upcoming uh, spring game, Bill Landis of The Athletic has been writing about it this last week or so. It looks like they are going to go for more of a tradition or less traditional base defense. Yeah, they'll still run their base, but it sounds like they're going to run a 4-2-5 nickel for 50 to 60% of snaps. At least that's what it looks like in practice right now. And after what we've seen this Buckeyes pass defense deal with the last two years, it makes sense that they're going more of the let's stop the passing game or at least manage it first and deal with running later. Whether or not that works out, we'll see. I know a lot of traditionalist Buckeye fans are probably going to be uncomfortable seeing two linebackers on the field for over 50% of snaps in a season. But I think going into this spring game, that's what I'm going to be most focused on is whether or not they're still able to stop the run when the 4-2-5. And even with the guys that are out at the cornerback position right now, are they able to at least slow up what should yet again be a very prolific offense with the Ohio State quarterback situation? Going to the uh, 4-2-5 is very interesting because, you know, while the secondary gets a lot of the blame for last year, what's Ohio State defense been known for for you know, the past 10 years, that elite pass rusher, man, the Chase Youngs, the Bosa's, and they just didn't have it last year. I know Togi and Garrett were great in the run game, but you just didn't have that, you know, double digit sack guy. And is Zach Harrison going to take that next step? You know, that the big five-star recruit is who, who's on the, who's on the other end. There's no way Jonathan Cooper's coming back. Right. Or is he taking his seventh year of eligibility? Uh, we're looking at Tyler Friday, Tyreek Smith, I, and I and I promise you, I, Jack Sawyer is going to be in the rotation. He's going to play minutes. I I, I, I don't. I I wouldn't doubt it. But Tyreek Smith was was the other name that I couldn't get out of. Tyler Friday, uh, he he came in as an interior D, D lineman, did he not? Yeah, I believe so. But I I just don't think he ever got the weight that he needed to play inside. You'll see also where what the Browns are trying to do with Jadavian Clowney, or at least they think they are, you're going to see some of these guys that are the edge rushers on third and down and passing situations where they're going to be able to throw that guy in in an A-gap in more of an interior defensive lineman role and just put your hand in the dirt and get after the quarterback. So it's going to be, I, I think it'll be fun, because you also have Haskell Garrett back, and what he did last year, it surprised me at least. I expected him to do well, but I didn't expect him to be the dog that he was, especially in the latter part of this year. And I really, really wanted Tommy Togiai to be back. I thought there was a chance that they would be able to convince him to come back. But even so, it should be at least a a, a fun defensive line, whether or not they live up to that billing that we've seen 
with the the Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Chase Young, even before that, we'll see if that comes to that level. I don't know, but at least with the two or four, two, five, you're at least putting yourself in a position where if these guys aren't able to get to the quarterback on early passing downs, you're not going to have tough Borland try to freaking cover uh, a running back out of the backfield or a slot receiver. Yeah, or Devontae Smith running right down the middle of the field. <laughs> that will um, live on forever. That clip of him with his arms like all the way up above his head trying to run, brutal. Oh, yeah, dude. That I mean, that's just – I don't say this often, but that was poor coaching on Ohio State. But anyway, so get to I, – I wanted to touch on a point here real quick and then we can move on. The moving around the defensive linemen. Do you remember in 2019 when Ohio State was moving around Chase Young and they put that big – Big dude right in the middle against Wisconsin. And they shit their pants, man. They called a timeout. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. We got to get out of this. I remember that very fondly. That's, uh, that was hilarious. Even their offensive linemen, they're more of that traditional, slower, like mauler type. You're going to get those guys 6'4", 330. They're not looking at the the more lim- like agile and limber offensive linemen. So when all of a sudden you have a guy like Chase Young in the A-gap and you're like, uh, like look around. You're like, uh, am I supposed? Is this me? Like, am I supposed to be this guy? I that was miserable for opponent teams. But yeah, it was a blast as a Buckeye fan, and I think we're gonna see a lot of that this year with these guys. Even if it's a, a Zach Harrison or a Jack Sawyer occasionally coming in and playing an interior role just in passing situations, I think that that is going to fit more the mold going forward. Now, hey, I'm gonna give you the last word here. If you got anything else for us. Buckeye talk. Then we're going to go, we're going to skip the Justin Fields talk today. Everybody out there, they know Justin Fields had second pro day. He's either going third or he's going somewhere else early in that draft. We'll get more into that in our draft preview show next week. But last word on Ohio State, Hayden, take it away. I I already said this once and I I wanted to make sure that Wally heard this because I'm not sure if he did. My breakout player is Craig Young. I know. We've already talked about this. I've texted you this before. He is my breakout player. He will play significant minutes. And I think he could be – I'm not saying he's going to be an All-American. I think he could be really good, though. I think he could be a very productive player. No, I, I actually completely agree. I. It's just a matter of, again, does he take that next step? The coaching has traditionally brought that out of players at Ohio State at least in the last decade or so. Hopefully it happens. And he looks like he has, he fits the mold. He could be that guy. It's just a simple question of, will he take that next step? And hopefully Saturday we can, or at least this next year, get a feel early on. And hopefully, I mean, everything the coaches say, they seem to glow over the guy. And I I just... There's reason to be optimistic with this defense going into this next year, opposed to what we've been looking at. But we are going to change gears here real quick. Last thing we will talk about today, former Ohio State defensive coordinator Greg Schiano. He's out in Rutgers now. It feels like for the longest time, or at least for about five years, but for Rutgers fans, I'm sure it felt like forever. They were the desert of Division I football. They're stuck in the F or in one of the better conferences in FBS football and in one of the better divisions in FBS football, getting curb stomped 56 to 3 week in and week out against these opponents. 
That's it, though. Like, they don't even lose in a rememberable enough fashion where we can pinpoint who it was that curb stomped them in specific games. But, it was Michigan. Oh, was it was Michigan? <laughs> See, yeah. there, of course, that was when he was still a fan. I don't remember that game. It could, it's hard to remember when, when Rutgers is losing by 50-plus eight times a season. But anyways, Greg Schiano, he's got something brewing up there right now. In uh, what what what's his city? Somebody want to throw me a bone here? Piscataway or something like that? It is Piscataway. Oh, I am a good Piscataway, New Jersey. I am good. Birthplace of college football. Of course, I knew that. No, no problem. We're all good. Anyways, these fire are the cannons. cannons. Fire the cannons is right. Those poor bastards. It'd be like I think Ohio State was up fifty six to nothing that game, and they kept high or like showing them, and it was raining. And these old dudes in their old garb are just standing by the cannon sad. I kind of felt good. They scored a touchdown with like two minutes left. I'm like, you fire that cannon guy. Good for you. Way to stand out here on a cold Saturday night. Probably catch the over. Probably. That was probably why I was cheering. But that don't matter. That's neither here nor there. Now, like I said, he's got something brewing. He has a great start to the 2022 class right now. He landed a four-star quarterback. Dual threat, number three dual threat quarterback in the class, 89 overall. This is going to change, but at this moment, the class sits six nationally. It won't be there at the end of the day. It will fall back down. It'll kind of revert to the mean a little bit. But either way, this is a Rutgers team that was dead and basically playing at an FCS level two years ago. Last year, you got to see them compete in pretty much every game they had. What should our expectation be for Greg Schiano? in this Rutgers team, in this next year, in his second tenure with Rutgers? Does anybody have some big high praise or anything you got for me right now? I don't care which one of you go for it. Yeah, man. I mean, what Shiano's doing is uh, is big time for Rutgers. Just looking through their recruiting class here, I mean, they're addressing a, a lot of needs. And, you know, obviously you get a high four-star quarterback, you know, you're sitting pretty. But also just going through their all-time committee, so – they have this quarterback is their seventh all-time recruit, and they also have a defensive tackle that's number nine and another guy in the class of 22 that's 13th overall. So they're getting their recruits. They're getting uh, legit players. And I think last year, man, they really took a step forward, too. They'd be Michigan State, right, the opening game? Or, yeah, yeah, Michigan State. Should have beaten Michigan last year. I like what Shiana's doing, man. I'm not predicting a head coaching vacancy in Ann Arbor, but if they were to move on, he would be at the top of a lot of Michigan fans' wish list, I would have to assume. Don't say that to Tennessee fans. Well, to be fair, that probably worked out for the better of them. I was going to say that worked out for everybody involved there, except, you know, the drunken Tennessee message boards that wanted to run him out of town before he even stepped foot on campus. As if they have this high moral ground in Tennessee, but whatever. that Whatever. Hayden, go ahead and say what you got to say. Oh, sorry. I see your hand up, Casey. I'm trying to skip over you. You go ahead, man. No, we're good. Uh, we'll probably touch on the expectations of Rutgers football-wise and then recruiting-wise here in a little bit, so I'll like play this I, uh, yeah, I'm just going to basically say the same thing Casey said. I Greg Chiano's doing a great job. Obviously, he's not going to finish with the number six class. But if you're anywhere somewhere in the top, if he can get a top 20 class, that's very good for him. 
That's exactly um, what that's exactly what I wanted to know. What's the expectation for or like what's a good class? And I wrote down right here top twenty. Yeah, if he can get a top twenty, you know, and I think a very a good goal for Rutgers would be, let's say, in three to five years, they could be something like those Michigan State teams a couple years ago in the Big Ten. You know, competing Big Ten. I I I don't see if they can land a top one hundred quarterback right now. I I don't see why in a few years they can't get to even that level. And maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you guys are laughing at me. Maybe like way off base. But I I I don't see why they couldn't maybe even compete for a Big Ten East title. I mean, why not? Well, I guess all I would say is that it's so funny. Because this is the the Buckeye in you, too, is that you're willing to say that Rutgers might be able to compete with a Big Ten East title, but Michigan, they're a million years away. The team that was losing by 78 points five years ago, you're like, hey, they have a shot with this kid. But five-star McCarthy, it's, nah, you know what? He's going to underwhelm. It's no big deal. He's going to be a nobody anyways. So, but I do not recall saying that. Did I say that? You didn't have to say it. We can read. We can read between the lines. We can feel it here. Casey, maybe you felt a different way, but I, I didn't get the whole vibe that you're like, you know what, Michigan, they're just that far away. If they can get something to go right, if they can start developing. But no, Rutgers and Greg Schiano, you're like, this guy, this guy's building a Big Ten champion. You kind of got that vibe too, but I understood. I think I understood where Hayden was coming from. I'm not saying they're going to win it. I said they could compete for a Big East title. Yeah, I'm not saying they're going to go 11 and one. You said like the Michigan State teams, and Michigan State was in the Big Ten championships, one, one or two, right? They went to the college football playoff. They won two. They beat Ohio State in one, and then they beat Iowa in the other, right? Yeah, so. I don't know, man. To to say that Rutgers can get to that level it might be a stretch. I mean, they got to do some rearranging of the Big Ten sides then, the divisions, if, if that's going to happen, because I don't see them getting through Ohio State. You can throw Penn State and Michigan in there, too. I just I, – I can't imagine them being able to run through that gauntlet. I, I just think they have – their location is a great place to recruit. I, I, that New Jersey, New York, East Coast area, and Greg Seattle's doing it. I don't know where this this quarterback is from. I don't know if he's from you know that kind of area. Kentucky. But, he's from Kentucky because okay. apparently yeah, Kentucky wow. was even going hard at this kid. Well, good for Rutgers. Then I I think if they can recruit, New Jersey has had some great talent come out of there. If they can keep some of that talent home. I'm not saying they're world beaters, but I think they can they can compete in the Big Ten East. Well, and compete, I think, is probably the better word. I think that's probably what you meant even the first time. It just like we kind of, you know, I jumped on that as fast as I could to 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 make you feel bad about yourself a little bit. But it's just, you know, I, I think their ceiling is kind of almost what Indiana was this last year, where it's gonna take every single possible thing to go right for them to be that second team, the Big Ten East, and it's still not going to quite be enough. I think Greg Schiano, we've seen it before, even in his first go-round there. He's kind of, kind of, or he kind of gives me the vibe of someone that will move to a better job as soon as he feels that the right one comes up. And you brought up Michigan. Like, let's just say, for whatever reason, Jim Harbaugh goes... 11 and 1 this year, or even 10 and 2, something like that in a regular season. And he says, screw it. This is the time I'm going to make the jump back to the NFL. I'm done here. And Michigan becomes available again. 
that's the kind of job I can see Shiano saying, you know what? It's been great, Piscataway. I'll see you in the third tenure in 10 years. I don't know if I can see him making that jump somewhere else. And when that happens, Rutgers has never been able to sustain the success that he had when he was there that first time. It's not really the sexiest coaching destination. If it would take a perfect hire, I think, to maintain this momentum he had, maybe we're wrong. There's a chance. You're right. That area is great to recruit. If he can keep players home, and look, he went out. He went into SEC country. I know Kentucky's kind of like fake South, but it's the South. He went into the South. He brought a quarterback home that Kentucky really wanted to, to go after. He's one of the best guys in the entire state. We just were talking about, you know, Greg Schiano possibly, you know, if he can turn things around a little bit, jump into a bit. Michigan, for example, a better job. My only pushback from that is the dude is from New Jersey. He's from that area. That's home to him, right? I mean, there has to be some appetite for trying to turn around, especially since he was there before, and he did. He had some good teams there to turn them back into what he had before. Now, yeah, he did leave Rutgers, but he did that to go to the NFL. I mean, to be a head coach. So if that was a dream of his to be an NFL head coach, then – yeah, you make the jump, but now he's back. You know, if he doesn't want to go back to the NFL, and he can make Rugger somewhat competitive, I don't know if he would leave or not. They had a BCS Bowl, did they not? Or am I making that up? With Ray Rice? Yeah, they were something like 11 and 2 or something like that, and went to like, I don't know if it was the Fiesta Bowl or the Orange Bowl or something, but if they weren't there, it was a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, that's going to wrap things up here. This was the first episode, and we thank you for listening to episode one of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm really fired up about the trio we have here. As you can tell, we we love each other. It's a good group of guys we got here. We're going to give each other shit a little bit, but we're going to try our best to be unbiased for all you guys, too. Hopefully here shortly, we'll have guest interviews coming up to play for you guys. On top of that, we are going to be introducing some fun segments. We kind of hinted at it earlier, but next week, the three of us, we're going to be ranking ours. I don't know if we'll go all the way through it, but we're going to be ranking at least top five best environments for or atmospheres for home games in the Big Ten. We'll probably do something like the bottom tier of that, too. You heard us poking fun at Illinois. We'll probably have to have something like that for those guys at the bottom as well. But we love you guys' feedback. Any ideas, anything that you think we can improve upon, we're very we're, we're sponges here. We're just going to soak it in. We're going to try to make this better. We're going to take this only as far as you guys will let it go. So we appreciate your support. Share, and I, I guess I probably should tell you the things first, but share everything on social media with us. Our Twitter is at P and N pod. P is in pigskin and N as in nylon pod. Facebook's the same at P and N pod and Instagram also P and N pod. Boys, do you have any last words for us tonight before we wrap it up? Yeah, do you uh, check out and like our, our logo? We had to think that that looks pretty sweet. So, but other than that, nope. Thank you to our listeners and see you next time. Final thought. I, I, I think I'm really, I'm, I think we all are excited about this podcast. I think you can tell just from episode number one here, our enthusiasm and our and our passion that we have for all these things. So give us a shot, you know, why not? Other than that, I don't think I have anything. Just looking forward to getting the show going, baby. 
Exactly. Give us a shot. We're going to be the guys in four years. We're at your bar in Evanston or we're at your bar in Illinois when Illinois, when Brett Bielema completely turns it around. They're running the table. They're undefeated going into the Big Ten title game. We'll be there. We're excited to have everything. But otherwise, this first episode of Pigskins and Nylon, and we'll be seeing you guys next week. 